Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Chelsea is a different level of brutality. Just tell us about the moment you get that feeling it's coming. I got a message actually from Bruce Buck. I'm saying, can you move training and come and meet us in the Morning, ballroom? Fred, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that first message, you kind of just wake up. I wonder what, yeah, flick on Instagram or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you can work all week and it just doesn't work for you at the weekend. We both a lot know, of me. We both know, but we both know that. When you say since you left Chelsea, you do feel a little bit lost some days. Is that the first time you've ever felt like that in your life? Probably. If I feel like I'm a dosser, then I get a little bit touchy, I'd say. That's all right. You've spent it around the wall, you've got brought it back, have you? Have I won, Chef Finn? It's fine. Oh, I thank you very much. First time I've won away at Stamford Bridge. Right. <laughs> Today we're going to make a martini. Very nice. Be dangerous, wouldn't it? <laughs> you think you're all right, and then that would hit, wouldn't it? Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. They're like management, isn't it? You think you're all right? <laughs> <laughs> on the latest episode of The Overlap, I speak to a Premier League legend and to thousands of Chelsea fans, their greatest ever player. Frank Lampard is the club's all-time record scorer. In 13 years at Stamford Bridge, he won 11 major trophies, including three Premier League titles and Chelsea's first ever Champions League. We talk about retirement as a player and his spells in management with Derby and his beloved Chelsea. Frank, welcome to the overlap. And this is a slightly different surroundings than a couple of weeks ago when I was in Bootle. We're in the <laughs> Muse houses of Chelsea. I want to start when you left Chelsea. I wanted to retire right at the end of my career. As soon as I finished at Manchester United, I wanted out of there, but you carried mm. on. Did it, is it something that you considered when you finished at Chelsea that you were going to stop football or was it always the plan to carry on and play? No, it's to carry on. I mean, I didn't feel ready to pack up. I think when you get past that, you'll know you, do, you start to be aware of things, don't you? Your body and all that stuff. But I think I was ready. I wanted to stay on at Chelsea. It's where we're walking now. It's kind of where I'd lived the whole time playing there. And I didn't really see anything outside of that and the relationship I had with the club, but pretty harsh and straight how I left. I got told, Jose pulled me in and said, you know, that club, we're not going to offer you a contract. And I'd say at the time I was a little bit taken aback. But looking back, it turned out to be one of the best things I think that happened to me in a way. Because I went to Manchester for a year, absolutely loved it. And I, I was very much a... Essex boy, stroke London boy, yeah. never envisaged living up Manchester. I would go up there and come straight back and play games. And when I went up there and met the people and uh, played for City, saw the people behind the club, saw a different football club, then went on yeah. to New York. Looking back, I mean, I love this area and it's probably going to be my home forever in a way, but it was a great thing to get out of here in a way. When you say that at the end at Chelsea, it was a little bit like harsh, what were you expecting and what did you actually get? Yeah, in the football bubble, you become probably comfortable at Chelsea. I loved my mm. time there and I never kind of saw anything else. And I remember myself and John would sit in the dressing room and we'd talk about, you know, how much we love the club, that we'd stay forever. And you probably get a bit like, um, I suppose when you get a bit older in life, you start becoming a bit of a curmudgeon. You know, you start moaning about everything. <laughs> and I probably did that. Uh, but, but at the same time, I thought this will be me. And then when you know you start talking about contracts, 
the five-year extensions are long gone. You get a year, you yeah, get less yeah. money, you get all that stuff. And in the end, when they pulled it, I kind of, I felt it was a bit harsh, but at the same time, I think the club were probably looking forward. They went on then to sign Cesc Fabregas, who, who was great at the club and his time there. And it was probably the right time for both of us to separate. At the time, as I said, I didn't feel it. I wish I'd probably gone out with a bit more of a soft landing. I never really got to say goodbye, but I'm, I'm more than over that because the 13 years I had there were, were brilliant. And it made me see another side, going to America. All the things that came from that were great. And was it Jose that told you, or was it... Was it... Jose did, Jose did. He pulled me in. And, and, and looking back, considering now as well, that I've worked on that side where you, you're a coach or manager. Yeah. You know how hard those conversations oh, yeah. are, and and I, when I say it was quite harsh, I don't mean harsh. I mean it fully felt harsh. Was it a shock me? to you? Or was it like um, out of the blue? No, no, I felt it coming because we were talking about a new contract, and Jose had been brilliant. He, when Jose came back to, to Chelsea, it looked like I was going to leave. He came yeah. back and he, he got me a year extension, which I was delighted with. But I kind of sensed as the year went on, wasn't playing so much. Yeah. Probably wasn't as impactful as, as I had been. Clearly, I was 35 or whatever. So I kind of felt it coming. But as I say, probably a bit of naivety at the time. I didn't actually sense that conversation coming. And I literally came in for training one morning, come up to the office. He sat there with Ruiz, number two, um, and put it out there. And you know, there's, no, there's no easy way. I wouldn't have liked probably... I probably complain if he gave me a lot of waffle through the year yeah, and yeah. ended it. It was just straight. And as I say, looking back, it was probably right for the club and it worked out for me. Just jumping forward to 2016 when you finally hung up your boots, had you prepared for that as in, you know, every footballer has their own struggle when they obviously have that adrenaline rush gone out mm. in their career and they've been used to playing. Had you prepared for it well? Was it easy for you to sort of retire in the end or did you find it difficult making that decision ultimately? It was easy. Was I was it? ready. I felt like I'd given my lot. I was very thankful for all of it. I looked around the dressing room, even in America, and the world was changing. The young boys sitting at the table were changing. They were on social media all the time. My body was creaking. I'm guessing you're a bit the same, really. I didn't yeah. feel like I, I wish I could be out there playing for so many more years. I felt like I'd probably had a, good, had a result getting what yeah. I got out of the game, and I just completely felt ready for it. And in terms of the sort of planning for the end of your career, did you invest in businesses? Had you begun your coaching badges? Had you looked at sort of the media and thought about what you were going to do? Yeah, I'd invested. Uh, I was fortunate enough, as I say, with a career. I had um, good people around me, probably from a pretty young age, so I was, I was relatively comfortable. Um, so that was a good thing. I didn't have to worry about that. I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go. I felt like I wanted to coach. I also enjoyed the media side of it. Um, and, I, and I knew I needed a break. I knew I felt like I wanted a Christmas holiday or a new year to travel away. All the things yeah. that you, you don't get. We have a great life as a player, obviously, but the things that you don't get, I just wanted a bit of that, a bit of family time. So as I say, I'd sort of seen it coming for a bit in America and I was, I was completely, it wasn't a shock to me at all. When you actually went into punditry initially, there was a point whereby, obviously, there's always that rival between sort of Sky Sports and yeah. BT in the sense that obviously both are massively invested in football and they both massively invested in the panels. And there was yourself, Stevie G, mm. Rio, Michael. And you had a formidable team there, didn't you? Did you enjoy that year or so that you I did, did. punditry? I did. It didn't feel formidable because it was so new to me. And um, I think people from, from the outside, and I'm not just saying I think you do it brilliantly, I think a lot of the, the lads working in it do it brilliantly, boys and girls now, uh, which is great. I did enjoy it, it was challenging because the, I think you have like an in-between period where you still feel like you're a bit of a player and you've still got some mates in the game and you yeah. still remember that feeling. I think you're, I think you're past that now. <laughs> you, do, you don't want them to make <laughs> a mistake. You know, I, <laughs> but, it's, but it's hard. But I, you know, I'd like to think that I'm a decent person. I remember saying some things about Pogba in the first year and you know, a couple of games, and he's such a sort of um, dividing character yeah. in the football. And I remember saying some things as a midfield player, and, and when, I, when I came out of it and I actually met him, bumped into him at the, I think he got to the final yeah. Man United player, and I walked into him and, you know, like, you kind of, oh, I, was like, oh, God, I, don't, I don't want to bump into him, I felt terrible. And I, I don't know whether you get over that or not, but I think you have to be honest. You can't sit on the fence and you have to say it straight. And I felt like I was finding my way doing it. I was enjoying it, but yeah. it wasn't giving me the real, the real buzz that I craved, which was to, to go into coaching and do it. Did it make you feel a little bit uncomfortable criticising or having to offer an opinion that was negative on a player that maybe you played against or you're playing with, knowing mm. how difficult it is as a player? Yeah, I did, I did. And, and I think even more... Um, as a coach and managing as well because you see it from the other side yeah. and the, the tactical aspect and, and how much work goes through the week. I saw you say that sometimes you can work all week and it just doesn't work for you at <laughs> the weekend. We both, know, we both know, <laughs> but we both know that. So when you see that and then you want to sit on TV and you kind of, I don't know why he played that or did, you know, like sometimes you kind of, you sort of makes you check yourself. But, yeah. but, but I don't mean to say that in a way because you, you have a job to do. People at home want to see that explanation and see the thing. But like you say, when it's you and you're saying it, yeah. sometimes you can feel like, ooh, a bit much. The problem is with this on television, you've been, you don't know what's been worked on during the week. You don't know mm. what, whether a player's gone rogue and done mm. something different. You are almost trying to, you know, your intuition sometimes tells you what's happened, but you're, mm. you are sensitive sometimes to the fact that 
coaching a team on the training pitch is a million times harder than sitting in a studio. Yeah. It just isn't it. Yeah. And in terms of sort of that, was it the thrill of going and actually having a team that sort of drew drew you back in? Yeah, kind of. That would be one of the reasons. I, I am. I think I'm. I'm a. I'm very driven and, and, I, and I like to work and I think that was something installed in me at a young age and I, I kind of everything that I try and do, yeah. I try and do as well as I could. I felt like it was something that I really wanted to, to take on the challenge and, and start again because as a player you don't have to worry about anything, you worry about yourself yeah. and that you, you fall in the middle of it and all of a sudden when you're the coach you realise the responsibility is so much and that's something I just wanted to get my teeth into. Do you know what I mean? And you're right, it is hard, there are things you can do. And don't get me wrong, I, I should be thankful as well because I went to Derby, which is a great club, and I went straight to Chelsea. A lot of coaches have to start yeah. a lot lower down than me and work their way up, so I'm very thankful for that, but um, just something I wanted to do, definitely. Have you had difficult moments since you retired in terms of, not obviously the last couple of years, I mean, in the first couple of years when you first came out, were mm. the moments where you felt a little bit lost? Were the moments where you always thought, oh, were you always in control, always feel comfortable with where you were going? I was comfortable at that point. I, I, would, I would say it's harder now having worked as a manager because I think as a manager you do a proper job. You're in at 7.30 or 8 and yeah. you leave at 5 and you take all the responsibility. As a player, you didn't have that. So when I finished playing, I was kind of coasting through as I really enjoyed it. I was like, I can go away, I can be at home, I can yeah. do different things, I can do a bit of media, and I felt very free. And the difference for me was that I, I knew I'd had a career and I knew I was ready to finish. And I understand the feeling of players that, that to get something taken away from them yeah. and then just feel empty, yeah. and I get that. And I think since I've managed, I've probably had a bit more of that feeling of like, um, I wish I was doing something today, like, but where's the structure in my life? And yeah. that, I can get that that's tough. Yeah. So that's something now that since um, you left Chelsea mm. as manager, you feel now that you are waiting, you are waiting for someone to sort of, you actually took up and be the manager, you do feel a little bit lost some days. Is that the first time you've ever felt like that in your life, probably? Probably, probably, and I don't want to talk it down too much because some days I love it. Some days I wake yeah. up and I can walk the dog and I walk down here and I go to Battersea Park um, and I can put my earphones in and I can come home and I can relax a little bit and I'm fortunate in a way with it and I enjoy it and then other days I wake up and I want structure and I want a challenge and I want to think about football like I can watch games on telly and I want to get my teeth into it, so I'm not, I'm not crying my eyes out here, do you know what I mean? No. But some days I'm a bit like, I just get like I want to I wanna get back into it. I, I think, like I say, I do, I do like to work and sometimes I feel like I'm a bit, if I feel like I'm a dosser, I'm not doing anything yeah. and, I'm, and I should be doing something, then I get a little bit touchy, I'd say. Right, we're just outside a very interesting building. you want to talk to us about this place? Yeah, so this is the Chelsea Pig. The walk that we've actually walked in, my mum and dad had a house when I was playing. They would walk to the Stamford Bridge, walk back and have a glass, probably leave 10 minutes early, come back, have a glass of wine <laughs> on the way home. I mean, it was a real place that they loved, and my mum particularly. And um, actually, the freehold came up to buy the building whilst I was playing. Uh, and bought it at that point, and so I sit back and I don't get anywhere involved in the business because I think that would be a It's not your crash. pub. No. You just own uh, the building. I kind of call it my pub if I want to call it my pub, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I don't, I don't do the running, but I do enjoy drinking there, and it's actually just been uh, redone and it's looking great, so yeah, it's a special place for me. Should we go inside and have a look? Let's go. Right, in we go. Cheers, thank you. Here we go. <laughs> Football manager in there, is there somewhere? <laughs> Frank, every guest on the overlap does a challenge, and ours is to make a cocktail after you've shown us how to, Michele. Absolutely. Today we're gonna make the oldest cocktail ever, a martini. So we're gonna start with some dry vermouth. Use that because we're gonna be precise, you know? 10 ml. I'm not known for being precise. <laughs> <laughs> Our gin. Full you go hit. for 60. Oh, it's a full hit. And you were out last night as well, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you have to try later. I was. Big cube. And you start to steer. Here we go. Right, go on. Let, are we going to make one then? Yeah. Always gone strong, yeah, is it? Yeah, save. Go ahead. Yeah. This is like me at home when I'm more even. <laughs> I think you just lost the customers, to be fair. <laughs> Anyone ever had an olive in the drink before? No? You? Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Strong, though, aren't it? Strong. Dangerous. It'd be dangerous, wouldn't it? <laughs> you think you're all right, and then that would hit, wouldn't it? Like management, isn't it? You think you're all right? <laughs> So your big jump into management was at Derby. It's the biggest regret of my career that I didn't get that club promoted. How do you reflect on the spike? Really calmly and like... What happened? What was the guy doing? He was in the bushes, like, laying down, <laughs> and he had his binoculars out. So the next challenge is we're in the kitchen with head chef Finn, and he's going to teach us how to do a very nice starter. Yeah, it's uh, salmon meat wheat. Lemon puree, some hazelnuts, some roasted beets. So I'm just glazing these up. That's just reduced red wine. This is a, a lemon puree. Like that. That's how they do it. That is a lot of work, isn't it, for a it start? It is, it is. <laughs> so, right, yeah, are we on? So, that's all right. 
I might have to sit like that because it's not great. I'll just two of them over the top. Quite relaxing, actually. Yeah. I have to adapt it slightly. Didn't give myself a big enough. I'm not going to overplay the green stuff because it's the type of stuff that comes on my plate. I usually end up throwing it off to the side, but it does look nice. Hazel looks nice. But yeah, let it out a bit. He's a pro there. He's a pro, isn't he? I think you've won this, guys. Would that make it through pass? Would you serve that? Be close. <laughs> be close. Come on, Shaq. You're being nice there. Yeah. 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 This one is. Not, not quite. He's won it, isn't he? I mean, I am a Chelsea fan, but <laughs> I'm going to have, have to a, go with Gary, yeah. Have I won, Chef Finn? He's won. Oh, that's <laughs> a, I thank you very much. First time I've won away, it's down for the bridge. Frank, so your big jump into management was at Derby. Tell us a bit about how that happened. I was working in the media at the time, and it was a bit of a shock to me because my sort of in my head, my plan was I was doing my uh, coaching badges. I was on my A license, not even my pro at that point. And so I was sort of collecting hours of coaching at Chelsea's academy. And Harry Redknapp, uncle, obviously rang me and said that he'd spoken to Mel Morris. Uh, Harry had a good relationship with Mel, the owner of Derby. And so he said, "Do you want to go and have a chat about the job?" So I was a bit like, mm, "I don't know really." So I think there were there were applicants for the job, other people looking at it. We sat in a hotel in Chelsea Harbour, probably had about two hours, and it was the most relaxed interview situation, chatting about football, my ideas, blah, blah, blah. Came away from it, I wasn't really sure you know, what way that, whether that went down well or not, you know, like he didn't really, he played a good like, poker face with me. And then he came back to me and offered the job, um, probably about two or three days later. So I must have said something right, I can't remember what it was now, it was very casual as I say. And then I had the big decision of do I jump into this because I probably sat in that interview quite casually thinking, yeah, I'll go yeah. meet him, experience, you know, maybe. And when you get offered the job, you go, right, what does it look like? What's the squad? What's the team? What expectations? What, what can I do? You know, I'd never actually managed at that point grown-up players. You know, like I'd managed in the yeah. academy. It's easy with 16-year-olds. You kind of tell them where to move. And then all of a sudden, you're going to, to manage maybe Tom Huddleston, who I played with for England. Yeah. So it was a big call from me. I had not my doubts about it, but just whether it was the right time. And thank God I did, because I had a great year there. What was the moment that you thought, yeah, I'm definitely going to take it? Was there a conversation um, or...? There were some moments where I thought, I'm not going to take this. Um, I, I sat in the front room and, and spoke with Christine and was thinking about the family. So I was really quite, I was quite enjoying life. Media, <laughs> fine, just tough. Cheese, the wine. <laughs> do that, yeah, go on holiday. But I did make the jump. I'm a thinker. And if I sat there and overthink things, then, you know, eventually I'd probably think myself out of it. And in the end, I kind of made the jump. And I remember driving up to the Derby training ground when I'd agreed. And I went there with a couple of the coaches who, who went there with me in the end. And uh, we sat with Mel. And I'd agreed by now. But then he actually put the squad up on the board. <laughs> and it was like, you know, an old school one with the names and that. So he went, so here's the squad. I was like, OK. And then he went, so there's Vidra, who was Championship Player of the Year the year before. And he went, he's going. So I was trying to him out of it. And then, uh, then he went, there's Vyman, who, again, energetic kind yeah. of thing and all that. So he's going. And so they, they took them two out. Uh, and I looked at the squad. No disrespect, because I had a great year and the players were brilliant there for me. But I looked at it and I thought, probably more looking at myself. Can I do this? I did know one of my strengths was that I could probably call on you know, some younger loans to put energy into the team to get it because it was I think it was the second oldest squad in the whole of the leagues yeah. and that's a good thing in a way you need experience but at the same time in terms of how I envisaged myself for that probably again a slightly naive I want to be a, every new coach wants to be high press high energy yeah. win the ball back play quickly and all that sort of stuff yeah. that's nothing new in that but where I hadn't done it before I sort of sat there and went mm, okay this is a challenge and I drove back down the M1 to come home and I was like am I, am I definitely ready for it so I think it's fine looking back they were, they were usual, normal doubts for me to have but from then on, the players that were there, the players that we brought in, the feeling of the club, I loved it there. Loved yeah. the year at Derby. In terms of sort of your football idea, did you have a very clear idea about how you wanted your team to play and what would that be? Yeah, I did. And it was about pressing high up the pitch and trying to win the ball back. And I came into a team that the year before had been a counter-attacking team. So yeah. they, they'd sat back, soaked up 
pressure. And they got to the playoffs the year before, but I could see that it was a challenge. And one of the first sessions I remember doing at Derby in pre-season, we did like a plan out from the back session. So literally 10 plan out against a, a press. I realized I had a lot of work to do with the players and myself, because I stood in the middle of the session and I could feel it wasn't going right. The, the team, was it all a bit fast? It was a bit fast. Yeah. And the team had been used to playing longer. So you know, they wouldn't have played short. And I wanted to play from the back and I wanted to, to have possession of the ball. And, yeah. and when I stood in that first session, I was like, oh, you know, I need to get my gaming gear as much as the players do because they go from my lead and you know I have to obviously take the, the hit of you know what try and play even if you're not used to and and also the pressing thing try and um, for me from having an idea a vision to actually making a, a grown-up team of men do it and funny enough if I look back at my two and a half years of management there's some things that I did in the early days at Derby that I would do now and there's some things that I did at the end of Chelsea that I wouldn't do now if that makes sense. Did you feel like the players were with you at Derby from day one you felt straight away they bought into everything that you wanted was yeah. there anything that you saw anybody kick back? No, not really. Uh, generally, I felt they did. I was fortunate enough at Chelsea, we had a real strong core of the dressing room. And then when I look back now as a manager and the, sort of the genius or the smart thinking of Jose and, and, and Carlo Ancelotti, that they, they gravitated towards that group and then the message goes through to the players. And when I look back at Derby, uh, Richard Keogh was club captain. Eight. Curtis Davies got injured that year. And we had Craig Bryson, we had Tom Huddleston, Bradley Johnson. They were, they'd been around the block. They were smart lads. And yeah. then we had the young group that kind of energised them a little bit. Like, Mason Mount and Harry Wilson lived together, and so it felt pretty good early on. And nothing's plain sailing. Behind the scenes, people don't like each other. They don't really don't like yeah. the sessions, or whatever. And as a manager, you have to kind of push that to the side. But at the time, it felt it felt like we were onto something pretty good. But I say that because we made the player final, which I think was a success, even though we didn't get up. There were times in the season where we went to Blackburn and got absolutely walloped <laughs> off the park. And you know, it, the championship is an up and down. You can prepare all week, yeah. and then you can. You know, again, go to Blackburn and get that. And other weeks, it just all comes good. So, you know, through the year, there were ups and downs. But I think when I look back at it at the end and when we beat Leeds in the semi-final, the playoffs, it was, that's one of the best nights of my yeah. career. How do you reflect on the Leeds one, the Bielsa and the, the sort of the spy game? Really calmly and like something like... Would I, I Jose think, have done that, do you think? Or I bet Sir Alex or Harry, you know, they did yeah. stuff like that. You think when they're like 20 odd years ago, yeah. do you think they might have sent someone to sort of watch? Yeah, and, and, and you know what? Okay, it was a hard one for me because it really came across that I was really angry about it, right? And, and I kind of was, but it was more in my sort of game face mode. If I'd have stepped out of it, I'd have gone, yeah, everyone does that. Who cares? Like, do you know what I mean? But at the time, because I felt, I, I felt that it was a bit out of order because I feel like in the current day where the game's moved on, it, they, the, the spy thing came the day before we played them. And I think Harry Wilson was injured. He wasn't in the shape that we did, and we did a few set yeah. pieces. So, pff, wouldn't have changed the game. They beat us the next day. What happened? What was the guy doing? What, what? He was in the bushes, like laying down, and, and he had the um, his binoculars out, whatever. Like, cause I, I'm not sure how much he could have got that much information. And, and from Bielsa's side, he's saying that much information wins us the game or not. Yeah. You know, I get that, but I, I felt it was a little bit offside. I thought it was a little bit wrong, and I had to defend that. And I can't come out and go. I think it's a little bit out of order. I had to sort of say that's out of order, you know, and, and you know, and it, and it carried out. And the good thing from my point of view that it did get, it did get the bit between my teeth a bit. And, and as it then built and we came back, that was in the league game earlier in the season. So as we then get to the to the playoff final. And we played them in the home game and they beat us again quite convincingly. It's only 1-0, but they played well and beat us. And then their fans were all singing, taking the mick out of me and all this stuff about... What was, what was the song? Uh, they sang one of the Oasis songs and they changed the words. So it was Stop Crying, Frank Lampard. Oh, okay. That's Stop Crying About It or yeah. whatever. Um, and then we went to Leeds and it was a cauldron in the second game. Yeah. And they were singing it and all that. And then the team just produced. The lads yeah. were brilliant. Obviously, we all know what's happening at Derby at the moment. Did you sense that there was that desperation and that risk-taking in terms of how they were approaching the finances? Were you aware of that existing at the time? There wasn't risk-taking when I was there because they were at the other end of that. I think maybe that had happened before. Right. Um, and, and I definitely want to show a defence of Mel Morris because he was brilliant for me and I can only take as I find and he was brilliant. Yeah. And I knew that we, were, we had tighter purse strings. To be fair to Mel, I think when we lost the players at Vidra and Vine, when we got in 12, 13 million pounds, he spent a lot of that back for me, which uh, I think he probably overspent what he wanted to, because I think he was kind of quite excited about what might happen that year. Yeah. But, you know, we went and bought Mike Wagle and Jack Marriott and the loans were, were good. But through the year, I, I sensed the, the tightness and it's the biggest regret of my career that I didn't get that club promoted for Mel Morrison, for the, for the fans, because they were great with me that year and we got so close. And I have some regrets about, personal regrets about the final, because we lost it. And I think Villa were probably pound for pound a, a more talented team than us. But um, the night I saw Mel there, Mel was so gracious like, I, you know, afterwards and it was like, I knew that it felt to me like the, t the club was on a little bit of a tipping point and promotion would have sort of... Almost like a red or black on the sort of roulette a little bit, type thing. A little bit. And when you work all year, 
to get to a playoff final when you beat Leeds, who were the best team yeah. in the league pretty much for me that year, and then you lose a final, like the, 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 the hit of that, as I say, I felt for Mel big time. What would you do differently in that final? You just mentioned there about things that you thought. What would that be? Well, you are critical of yourself. You're an unbelievable professional. You were as a player, but I can yeah. imagine even as a manager, that's exacerbated and probably exaggerated. What yeah. would you look at and say? It's the thing like we're talking about there, how you sort of go home and criticise yourself, because sometimes it's, it's so easy. Every defeat, you go, oh, I should have done that. But I mean, we went to Leeds and beat them. With, we played a diamond in the second leg there. I wanted to play a diamond in the, in the first leg, because Leeds had beating us in two games and I thought a diamond might give them an issue but we'd played well with 4-2-3-1 going into yeah. the play so I stick with that we lost at home and went diamond and we won so my, my issue then became what do I take into the final here because the nice feeling of a diamond beating Leeds was yeah. amazing but does it work for Villa so I stuck with a diamond and um, not to say we wouldn't have got beaten if we'd have gone 4-2-3-1 or whatever we had a couple of injuries in the week we went to Portugal for a few days which retrospectively I think was a mistake um, we should have stayed in Derby. In what That's way? Just getting the players got carried away a little bit, or you were having it, what, what? I just think it was a, it was a complication that we didn't. We had eleven days. I think yeah. It was quite it was a long time. And I remember thinking, what do we do here? It's a long time to be in Derby, you know, it's a bit rainy or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like lads coming to the same training ground, and so we went away. And again, I'm, I'm definitely overthinking this because if we'd have won that game, I would have been yeah. it'd been brilliant. We went to Portugal, and it was great for the lads, but. Just myself looking back, maybe we could have just built to the game slightly differently. And that, that's probably my own things. Everyone gave everything that year. And, and in the end, Villa were better than us on the day. What was your last conversation with Mel Morris that you've had? I sent a message to him the other day, actually, because with the current news that's happening yeah. around, I wanted to show a message of support, because as I say, he's brilliant with me. I don't know any of the details behind the scenes. Uh, and before that, one of the last messages I would have had with him were, was when I, you know, Chelsea came in for me. Yeah. And he was very upfront with me. He said, listen, Frank, he said, I can do this for you next year. This is what next year will look like. You know, I can give you a new contract. We'll be able to spend this. And it wasn't loads, to be fair. But he was, I, was, yeah. I appreciated his honesty because he could have said, I'll give you this, just yeah. stay. And he didn't. And I was like, thanks, Mel. Like, let me think about it a bit. And then it was Chelsea. And yeah. it was like, you know, and when I, when I said that to him, he was like, yeah. of course, go and do it. Chelsea's a different level of brutality. I sat there in the interview for Chelsea knowing that Derby managers for one year don't get the Chelsea job. Who makes that decision? That's the manager, that's not the manager. Who makes that call at Chelsea? The owner. Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe, there's loads more episodes coming up and I hope you're enjoying it. Right, let's get back into this episode. Where did the first call come from Chelsea? I don't actually remember. There was a weird sense, and I'm not, I'm not waffling you there, because there was a weird sense around the, the playoff uh, final that there had been a bit of chat. And, and the manager hadn't left Chelsea, by the way, then. He was still there and stayed there for a while. But there was a sense of chat around me, which yeah. obvious reason the link could be there. We were doing it right at the time, and the Chelsea job might be coming. Um, and I don't actually remember the, the first call or whatever it was and I actually end up going and sitting down and talking to Marina. What was that first meeting like with Marina? The talk was fine, it was it was normal, it was you know like I said how casual the Mel one was, it was certainly a step up from there as it should be I suppose. Yeah. So you know I had to get my, my presentation and my document kind of in order, talk about what I wanted to do and what I wanted to see and it was funny for me because I didn't feel like you know it's, as a player at Chelsea you spend 13 years there and when you're in your prime Fortunately, you get offered contracts, it's great. Yeah. You don't even have to, you, know, you negotiate, but that's yeah. what it is. I sat there in the interview for Chelsea, whatever you want to call it in the meeting, knowing that Derby managers for one year don't get the Chelsea job. Do you know what I mean? They don't get it. It normally goes to a player, that, a manager that's been in Europe, success, whatever it is. So I suppose I kind of felt, not, not back footish, but like I was trying to show myself, because I wanted the job, but I knew that the circumstances were different. So I kind of probably, the conversation with her would have been, you know, very friendly, very positive, from me trying to be positive, show what I can do with the team. Transfer ban was there, it was a huge elephant in the room, it was just there, you know, we all knew yeah. it was there. So the job looked different to what it would have looked in the last 15 years. And I tried to sell myself and what I can do with this position, whether it be the younger players or the players that are already there. What did they want from you as Chelsea manager? Did they say we weren't expect to win the league this year? Obviously, no, Hazard was leaving, no, you had yeah. the transfer ban. Yeah, they, they didn't expect that, and they, they said to me, I said, they, sounds really impersonal. Marina said to me, you know, we understand if we don't end up where we normally end up. We don't want to be relegated. I remember those words. I was like, okay, fine. I don't think we'll get relegated. <laughs> but for me, Eden was the best player in the Premier League, you know, yeah. there or thereabouts, for sure. And his impacts on Chelsea for the last two or three or four years, the year before I came, was like, I think 55% of the goals where he scored or assisted. 
And you could feel, and I, well, I knew from the outside, but when I got there as well, you could really feel that the, the reliance had been on him. Get us out of trouble, Wedden, you know, on a bad day, you know, and, and he did it time and time again. So it was very clear. So there, there, it wasn't like a big lie. We all knew it, and it yeah. was what it was. And I'm not sure what the parameters were, really. But it's a hard one, because when you sit and do your first press conference as Chelsea manager, you can't sit there and go, we don't want to be relegated this year. You have to say the right thing. Otherwise, I think they'll go, well, you've got a good squad. And this is no disrespect, but when I played there in those prime leagues, your manager probably walked in and said, well, there's John Terry, best centre-back in the world, best goalkeeper in the world, Didier Drobble, one of the best strikers, Ashley Cole, best. Yeah. Uh, and, and experience, it was a different animal. So, yeah. you know, I, I, was, I had my eyes open with that. And, and again, I'm not talking players down there because I think, you know, not only did the young players do well for me that year, but some of the experienced ones, especially in year one, it was, it was a good, I, I really enjoyed it. But going into it, it was a bit like, where do we go? here because the year before they just sort of stayed in the, in the Champions League position they think they ended up coming yeah. third but it was a funny year got, got yeah. beaten in Man City 6-0 yeah. and it, like Chelsea teams don't generally do that so I knew what I was getting into. In terms of your, your idea because obviously you played at Chelsea and Chelsea have never been known as a high pressing team mm. you know under Jose it was seen as maybe counter-attack even though mm. you had brilliant players and you mm. had kept possession where did the idea of the high press came from? The year before I felt that they'd fallen somewhat in between I was a Chelsea fan I'd watched them yeah. for certain reasons so I, I tried to make a few little adjustments to a, the fitness levels and, and the, the mindset of how we want to want to go and B, some tactical things. And I think in the first year we did pretty well with it. And um, some of that was uh, maybe us, hopefully, as staff, but other, other parts of that were Tammy Abraham coming in, Mason Mount coming into the team. People like William, who I think had had a... was, was a bit polarising with Chelsea fans in a way, but he was brilliant for me there because I could... Uh, I knew that his natural attributes, when you get him really fit and, he's in, and he feels like he's the main man, yeah. he'll be jumping from one side. So we had him on one side, we had Mason Golo Kante, do what you want with him, he'll do everything for yeah. you. Um, so I, I think in the first year, we weren't perfect, um, but we, I, I like to think that Chelsea fans would look and go, yeah, we can. There were some games at home where we played. I remember, we played Brighton at home, and they didn't get out of half at the first half of the game, and I thought, this is the, the team. Not every week's like that, don't yeah. get me wrong, but that's what we were striving for. In terms of Chelsea, I mean, it's a club that really behind the scenes, no one really knows how it operates from mm. sort of top down. Mm. How would you manage up during your time as Chelsea manager? Was there a meeting every couple of weeks, every week, a month, or would you just be left to completely just get on with it, particularly in that first year? Yeah, I, w I wasn't left completely. I would have conversations with Marina, would be my port call. And regularly or? Uh, regularly enough, could be messages. I went out of my way to have that. I wanted to have that uh, relationship. Um, with her, because I think it was important. Yeah. If you go on your coaching like, badges, I said, make sure you manage up well. It yeah, sounds really yeah. simple. And then <laughs> when you lose a couple of games, it's a bit harder. <laughs> but uh, that was it. And obviously, I had probably the benefit of Petter coming in. And so, you know, me and Pete were close as yeah. players, as friends, you know, and he then got into the office opposite me. So that was a nice in between ground for me. So yeah. I, I certainly didn't feel like I was absolutely alone or anything. And, and people make a big deal of how much, you know, it's a question. Have you spoken to Roman yet? And all that. I didn't really, but I didn't need to. It wasn't like that, do you know what I mean? I, I felt the support of the club. I, you know, I'm thankful they gave me the job. So I had the communication upwards. Certainly wouldn't sit and say it would be the cold thing that you could maybe assume that it might be. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. You know Chelsea better than anybody over the last 20 years and football's ruthless but Chelsea is a different level of brutality mm. when it comes to your managers who've been successful and maybe lose their jobs. Did you think it would be different because of your relationship with the club on the way in? Did you think that that would be different? No. You didn't? No, no, I didn't think it at all because what, why would it be? I don't think there's too much room for sentiment or emotion. You're there to do a job. I think if I would have gone in thinking that, I would have been naive. It might give me some... Uh, favour with the uh, Stamford Bridge fans, with the yeah. fans that come every week who've maybe seen me play for a while as well. So I think eventually, if you're not producing, yeah. they'll kind of go, all right, it's not your time. But when I went into the job, if I'm brutally honest, I didn't think it was going to be a five-year project because that, that history told you not. History yeah. told you that managers stay for two. What do you think, how long do you think it would be? I thought it would be shorter term. Well, it ended up being sort of 18 months and I couldn't have put a, a, a time on that. But I was concerned about the level of expectation compared to the squad and the job that I had at my hands. It felt like a least a transition, at most a rebuild. And that, that a rebuild is probably too much because there's some good players in that yeah. squad. But when I went in, Man City and Liverpool had just done that. Yeah. And they, they were miles away from the rest, not just Chelsea. So, you know, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play in teams that we all, if you had a bad year, we came second to you normally, do you know what I mean, in yeah. that period. Whereas now it looks a bit different. So I'm a thinker, so I kind of try to weigh up everything. And I know the club very well. Maybe that's not a good thing because you see everything and think everything can feel it. I was concerned that we would be able to get to exactly where we want. But it's hard to predict going in. Yeah. But I, didn't, I never felt, you know, and sometimes you sit there and you, and you say, this is a three-year project. We might be able to win the league in three or four years. Inside, I didn't no. think that. I was like, week by week, let's yeah. see where we get to. 
Who is the decision maker? Who makes that decision? That's the manager, that's not the manager. Who makes that call at Chelsea? What, the owner. Roman makes the calls, Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, you don't always get it direct, but yeah, the owner. And I think you respect that. And I've always respected him. I wouldn't be sitting in the comfortable position I'm in now with yeah. all, you know, the period I had at Chelsea without him in the first place. And he makes that decision, yeah. And to be fair, if you look back in the period, he's made some good decisions. Does the phone stop ringing for Marina? <laughs> yeah. What was the turning point where you thought, this is not right? In the second year when I went to Arsenal and got beaten, I knew that that good feeling I mentioned before had gone. Once that perception flips, your back's against the wall straight away. You've had a year at Derby, you've got comfortable probably with the players, you've built your confidence in terms of working with the team. You then go on to the training pitch, or the first time you meet the Chelsea players, mm -hmm. What's different? Level, obviously. Again, no disrespect to Derby, but it is what it is. In Chelsea, you come into a team full of internationals, 20, 20 odd of them. Yeah. And so the level was up, which brings a different breed of player, different breed of person. You know, they, they challenge you more, I think. You know, from the outside looking at that first year, it looked like it was the most likeable I felt Chelsea had ever been. One, maybe it's because you're the manager, but secondly, because there was a transfer ban. Mm. You'd brought through young players. Chelsea had this most unbelievable academy, mm. but not really brought through mm. young players. It looked like you were really happy. It looked like things were perfect. Did that suit you, that transfer ban in that first year, just to get sort of what would be a group of young players in? Also, the fact that you had stability. You didn't mm. have who you're signing. You didn't have your who's Frank going to bring in. Yeah. Are his signings a failure? Are they a success? Was it more simple for you in that first 12 months? M maybe, maybe. If I go back in time, I I'd opt for no ban because I felt that when I came in that there were two or three positions that we needed to improve and also your manager that comes in you kind of set the tone of what you're doing by bringing in players of a certain type and so to not have that was I'll go back I will take that option but I understand what you're saying it definitely helped in terms of feeling I felt that that people kind of looked at it with a different eye and it, and it felt different probably on the inside as well and it's, it's hard to it's hard to call as a manager it definitely people like Mason Mason Mount breathed energy into it. But then you have the flip side of that is a senior player that's not playing because of Mason, and then you have to deal with those things. So there were the same challenges behind the scenes, but definitely, generally, I think it did. It sort of political or an aesthetics from outside, like you're saying, it, it probably helped. You mentioned before that players challenge you more at Chelsea because they're better players. Who would those players be? Who would those characters be in a good way, like you say, in the dressing room, that the leaders? Um, experienced players, leaders, Aspie, Giorgino, Giroud players that have been around the block and, and you have to respect that. I think as a modern manager, I think the more you can listen to the modern player or, or, and give them some form of ownership over it, I think you get better kickback from it. I think you have to. So the easy thing for me to be, be in was to come in and go, no, no, I'm the boss, shut up, you lot, I'm going to come in and yeah. show you my stripes. But I always try to listen to, to how they might want to set up a press, something kind of set play, whatever it is. And um, they need to know you're the boss, don't get me wrong. But there was, there was a different feeling of challenge from the players, in a good way. Um, I, remember, I was that player, you know, myself. I remember <laughs> JT, me and JT were the challenge managers for fun, you know, about if we were doing shape, like 11 against none, like this is rubbish. Now every manager does it and it's, and it's the norm, do you know what I mean? So it, it, the, game, the game moves on. You've had a really good first season, you finished top four, but one of the sort of big issues that emerged during that first season was the, the club had spent, I don't know, 75, 80 million on mm. a goalkeeper, Kepper. Yeah. yeah. And you then put Caballero and mm. you know, partway through that season. Did that bring a pressure from above in terms of what you're doing with our big investment? Did that cause a problem for you? No, no, it didn't. As I said, my communication with upstairs was always good. When you're aware of a £70 million goalkeeper that you take out of the team, you know that it's not yeah. a simple decision. So probably with Kepa, he was having a tough time. There's no, no bones about it, do you know what I mean, in the first season. He'd, I think he'd say that himself and from the conversations we had, he was very sort of open. It's a tough time for him and that position is it's different to every other position on the pitch because yeah. you're getting it all the time and, and the lack of confidence is going to hit you harder than anything in that position. So I tried to have open conversations with him. And I got to the point where I felt like I just had to make a change. There was no feeling of pressure from above, is what I'm trying to say. But it became becomes very high profile yeah. when, when you do it. And there's that, that tag on a, a that price tag on a player. Um, but he was having a tough time. And for that reason, not say he had to come out of the team. It yeah. sounds a bit dramatic, but you know, I had to make a decision. And at the start of the next season, was the goalkeeper always a target? Did you did you always say I want a goalkeeper? Were the club resistant to that, or were they supportive of bringing no, the goalkeeper? No, they were supportive of that. Again, I don't I don't think I'm being harsh here on Kepper because I think he's a talented goalkeeper, and he had a tough year when I was there for whatever reason. But I felt that it was a position that we could improve. You know, Mendy was the uh, was the result of that, who's obviously been fantastic since he's been at the club. And at the start of next season, club spend a lot of money on Werner and Havertz mm. and players like that. Were you happy with the transfer window? Were you happy with the players that were signed? Yeah, yeah, I was. As I say, it was very joined up, which I was happy with because I, you know, I'd never managed it. How influential were you in that process in terms of the players coming? Um, 
And could you have a veto on it? If they, what would happen if you said, no, I don't want to bring him in, and they said, I want to bring him in? How would that work at Chelsea? It, it never happened in that way, but I, I, I would say that I would probably have that veto, to be honest. In that first year, whilst we were transfer banned, we were having conversation about what players we wanted to bring in in the summer, and we obviously yeah. brought in you know, a fair few players, but I was never out of the loop on that. It was yeah. never one where I could sort of say, they did this behind my back. I, I never had that, because it was very open, the scouting department there with Petter, you know, Timo was a was a big one because Liverpool had one of them, Manchester United, I think we were in. We knew there were three or four other big clubs. So when I had the conversation with Timo, I knew I had to be on my game to try and get him to come. Yeah. From the year before, I knew that our, I hate stats too much, but our XG, we should have scored more goals. So it felt a really crucial part of it. Same talking about Edu at the other end. I was happy with it. Thiago Silva was a no-brainer. When he came up, I was almost like rubbing my hands together and go, yes, please, you know, free transfer. This fellow who's been one of the best centre-backs in the world for a while and, and everything I heard from everybody else was that about his character, which proved right as well. So the balance of it was right. I mean, listen, I think if you look back, you might sort of say, Thiago was on with Bolt, you just go, bang, he's going to be an absolute fit. With Timo and Kai, there was clearly going to be adaptation issues. And I know that from being in it because, you know, they were probably shocked at the, the, the speed of training. They were shocked at the dem physical demands of the game. I remember Eden Hazard's first year at Chelsea. It turned out to be one of the best players the club's ever had. Yeah. In the early days, in pre-season, you look at him and go, can you, you know, strolling around, to be fair to Ed, and be had an incredible talent. But any player, pretty much any other than the odd few, are going to have that. And, and I think Timo and Kai probably had that in the early days. Kai had terrible COVID as well, which set him back quite yeah. a lot. But in terms, sorry, in terms of the signings, I was happy. Ben Chilwell was a big one that I wanted. It was something that I had yeah. actually sort of seen as a, a left-back. I wanted a player of his... Uh, qualities. Did everything change at that point in terms? Mm. Of, obviously, first year, you know, in some ways, because of the transfer ban, the fact you had young players in the team, it mm. was a little bit of a honeymoon. Did you feel like it completely changed in the second season? Yeah. The sort of way in which people reported to you, asked you questions, yeah. the sort of media, everything. Did it feel different? Yeah, yeah, it did. And unfairly uh, at times, it's just what it was. And so much of football. The main bulk of it is what you do, what you do at a training ground, what you do as a squad, what results you get. But then there's a huge part of it is perception, you know, and what, yeah. how people perceive you. Like, he's absolutely not trying to blow my own trumpet, but I got in the top uh, list of managers for manager of the year when Jurgen Klopp won it after my first year and we'd come fourth. Chelsea managers don't normally get that. The next year, you know, I came fourth because people kind of understood that it had been a tough year, so they give you that credit, yeah. you know, and I was, I was pleased with that personally. But the next year, once that perception flips, your back's against the wall slightly straight away. It's tougher and... When you're working on the ground and you can see Timo's getting used to the game, Kai's getting used to the game, got a big squad, we're leaving out players. We, we, we needed the squad to be, to be yeah. for me, less at that point. And don't get me wrong, they went on to win the Champions League. It, yeah. Yeah, it sounds a little bit... Was it causing you a problem, the size of the squad and trying to get them all It's in? tough, yeah, because you had three left-backs. One, only one can play, generally. And five centre-backs. And um, Fikayo, who had been brilliant for me at Derby, had been very, very good for us in the first year at Chelsea. And I could see, feel that he was going to be a, a good centre-back for Chelsea for years to come, but he's in that kind of developing age where you will come out of a Chelsea team at 21 yeah. when there's that sort of competition of internationals. But when you've got five, it's Fikayo or it's Rudiger or it's Christensen. Two of those are at home every game. And, it, and it's not nice. And you, you can't bullshit players that, OK, I'm leaving you at home, but don't worry, you'll be back next week, if that's not the case. No. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have wanted that as a player, and it's really hard. And there's a, obviously a skill to it at times, but the squad was big, and it's tough. And as time goes on, the new manager's there now, he can make his changes, and you can maybe try and trim that. That's just how I felt at the time. In terms of sort of that second year when you were out on the training pitch with the players, did you feel like, you know, because you had a really good start to the season, didn't you? Did you feel like you were in control, like everything was moving well, the idea was being received well by the players, and that you were on the right track? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did, and I'm, I'm always... I was a pessimist. I'm always ready for something around the corner. But at the same time, when you look back, we, I think we were 16, 17 unbeaten going into December. We beat yeah. Leeds at home, played well. Beat Seville 4-0 uh, in Seville. And that was of a team of eight changes from the, the league team. So, and we, and it, was, it was a really good feeling of teams winning, teams playing. And the next day, you know, when you get the ones that haven't played, it's a dangerous session. To, yeah. to, but it was, it was really happy. And players were playing and it was right. And we were feeling really good, 16, 17 unbeaten, as I say. And then come end of December, we lose some games and obviously that can change pretty quick. What was the turning point where you thought, this is not right, this is not going well, that, that moment, in, the, is there a moment you remember, a day, a game, 
a meeting. We went to Arsenal on Boxing Day and lost and played poorly. There hadn't been that many times I could probably say to you in my time there at Chelsea where I could kind of come away and go, we were, we were poor, off it today, you know, and you, that kind of miles off it. A couple of times in the first season, went to Sheffield United and got beaten, but they were kind of, you could certainly put that down to probably the, the, the youthfulness of the group and normal inconsistencies that come with it. In the second year, we went to Arsenal and got beaten pretty well. I knew that that good feeling I mentioned before had gone could see it in the performance, you know, and then we had City the next game. And at Chelsea, it's understandable, I'm not crying my eyes out, but you go and lose a couple of games on the bounce like that and people start talking about it straight away. So I, I could sense the, the feeling of that and, you know, we, I think we lost three games in seven and at the end of January I, I left. Does the phone stop ringing for Marie? Does the does the tone change? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it does naturally and I, and I get that. Did you feel it was coming? You know, or did, you just, did it come as a shock on the day where you were told? I could feel it. I was, I was sort of being told some things that it might happen. What sort of things? Rumours. <laughs> you know, but I mean... For, I, you, what, know. you mean from outside or yeah, from inside? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm relying... Well, they were approaching other managers or... Yeah, but that, I mean, maybe that's, again, that's normal. And, and I think Chelsea is such a, a club and it's had huge success with it, but it changes managers. So uh, it doesn't take long for, you know, for people to get jump on that ship. So... It would have been stupid of me to just listen to that and absolutely get... Yeah. But, you know, I'm not silly. So you listen to those things and you just keep working. Just tell us about the moment where, you know, your phone call, the message, and it's happening and you are going to be told and you get that feeling it's coming. Well, we'd, we'd beaten uh, Luton in the Cup, FA Cup, fourth round or wherever it was. And then it was the next morning. I got a message actually from Bruce Buck, the chairman of the club, um, saying, can you move training and come and meet us in the ballroom? Morning, Fred, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that first message, you kind of just wake up, I wonder what, there's some flick on Instagram or something. <laughs> I'm joking, but now, once the club makes that decision, to be fair, there's no nice what way to do it. What did the message say, though? Can you, can you come and meet us in the, in the ballroom at Stamford Bridge? Yeah. So I, I was, I knew, I knew straight away. But as I say, there is no nice way to, to no. do that. And there may be different ways of etiquette of doing it, but at the end of the day, the result's the same. And so when I, when I, went, when I met Bruce and Marino, it was very cordial. I knew what was coming then as well. So, you know, I, I sort of... Again, not at the time, but you're thankful for the period. You understand what it is. They're going to move on, and there's nothing you can do there. So I've never been in that position before, which is quite a little bit surreal at the time, but it, but it is what it is. When you take the job, you understand that that call may come, that Chelsea probably will come, <laughs> unless you go and win back-to-back -back titles all the time, and that was never going to happen. I had bruises applied, bruises going and having 32 shots at the World Cup and not scoring. It was like a record of 32 <laughs> shots. What does the future hold for Frank Lampard? Where are you looking next? You obviously want to get back in, don't you? So I'm ready to work and I'm excited about it. So, Frank, we do this section with every guest on the overlap. It's called Failure is a Bruise, Not a Tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> you know where it comes from. <laughs> What's your moment where you feel like that was the low? I had bruises applied, bruises going and having 32 shots at the World Cup and not scoring. It was like a record of 32 <laughs> shots and no goals in 2006 or whatever it was. And came back and myself and John and Ashley, we got hammered at grounds for six months afterwards. You let your country down, all this stuff. And it was, and, and I, I can laugh about it now, but when you're in it, yeah. that's a really hard bruise. I remember going away to England, not liking it. I remember ringing my mum and saying, Mum, I've got booed at Wembley. We played Brazil. First game back at Wembley. Yeah. I've got booed in a warm-up. And I was like, it's horrible, do you know what I mean? Um, so those bruises there, losing my mum as a player, losing parent, you know, that's yeah. to tell you about that, but how hard that hits you. For a year after that, I was a zombie. I looked back and my life changed completely and I'm still not, re not recovered from that, but it's still there. So football's about bruises. How do you cope with those moments, those low moments? I think I've changed. I, I used to be, I think I got brought up in, in, in an old school feeling of get on with it, get on with it. And then you just kind of go into you know, a zone and you get on with it and maybe you're taking a bit of a battering inside, you don't see it. I definitely did that with my mum. I kind of did what I should do. I went and played against Liverpool four days later and then probably had moments two or three months or a year or two years or three years down the line where it hits you and you go, Poof, and, yeah. you, and you get it. I'm not the only person to suffer this. I'm not bad at boxing things off. I'm quite good at moving on to the next thing. Call it ruthless, call it being slightly cold at times. I'm quite good at it. It's my, it's You've my been defense. You've Chelsea, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. It's my, it's my, you have to, you know, it's my defense mechanism though. You know, yeah. I don't get too overly yeah. emotional about things. I might have a moan to Christine at home, yeah. that stuff, but kind of get on with it. Bruise of leaving Chelsea in the first two months when I look back, it was, it was hard hitting. Do you know what I mean? As a manager. Now I look at it and, you know, I walk the dog. I'm yeah. looking at what's the next thing and you get excited about things. You, you sort of think about things you would have done a bit different. Yeah. Could I have done that? 
next time what do I see? And they're all part of the, the process. It's easy sitting back down and reflecting yeah. when you're in it. it Did you tough. watch the games after you left? And how hard was that as you saw them sort of grow during that season after you left? Um, it must have been tough, that. Yeah, it's tough. It was a balance of things. Like you watch the Champions League final. And it's funny around here because you watch it and on a football level, I can get excited about what's well, excited. I can sort of say that part of that is me. You know, Mason Mount played brilliant in the final, Reese yeah. James. The goal goes from Mendy to Chilwell to Mount to Havertz. I'm going, that's a bit of me there. Do you know what I mean? But the other side of me goes, I'm not taking any ownership over that. I got quite a few messages after me, like, that's your team, you know, mates, that's your yeah. team. You're... And I'm like, no, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's because that's how I am. And, and fair play to Tuchel and the club and all that for, for taking them that way. I'll never take ownership of that. The, the, fact, the thing I found really strange, because I live near the stadium, is that I walked the dog the next day and I, and I, I found it tough watching that game. Uh, you know, anyone who works in the game knows that. It's not, you're not sitting there with your yeah. Chelsea shirt on going. No, no, you know what I mean? It's, it's different. <laughs> but when I walked around the streets here, I, I had so many Chelsea fans come up to me and you were part of that, or did you enjoy that last night? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? All that sort of stuff. But then when, when I got over that feeling, I felt a sense of it has been my club for a long yeah. time and always will be. And I should be happy with that in a way. Do you know what I mean? I, once I got over that kind of funny feeling of watching the game, and, and it took me a while because the first few times I'd say to Christian, I wish people <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not my team, do you know what I mean? And all that stuff. As the yeah. dust settles, you know, you can t I can take um, some happiness from you know, players like Mason and players like Reese yeah. and players like Tammy. Some of the older players, I hate to always reflect, Thiago Silva sent me a beautiful message after the game, sort of saying thanks for bringing me to the club and this happened. Yeah. And people who work at the club, I'm friends with masseurs and physios and fans and all that. So yeah. when it settles, you can absolutely look at that with a much more positive eye than, than, than the football centre side can sometimes take you. Yeah. It struck me that when you were walking outside, you said that, that like, the last few months or last year has been the points where you've probably been at your lowest in terms of your career. Because everything, you know, you had an unbelievable career, mm. you know, great managerial job as well at Chelsea. And to be fair, you've not even had a bad run really, it's a few games. What were you like at home with Christine in that period and what was she like with you? Was it sort of like where you were? She was picking, <laughs> not great. <laughs> <laughs> I was all right, but maybe it's the norm. Like, being, the, being the working managers, you know, she probably picks and chooses her time yeah. to come and see. But no, I, w I was fine. I mean, I'm driven. So as a manager, you're going to get sacked. Yeah. You, you don't go into this job unless you think that's going to yeah. ha happen. Like, it's going to happen to you at some, yeah. if you want to have a long career. And if you're going to go to a place like Chelsea, you know, Come team Mourinho, like Ancelotti yeah. managers that I'm nowhere near at the minute have, have been sacked. It's easy to say it now. There are moments at home where Christine has to give me a swerve, and I'm normally when I'm watching football because I start getting into it and stuff, and yeah. then sometimes it just sits with you because because of, of how I am. I can't switch off from that. I can't. Maybe you know if I did, then I probably would come out of the game and not manage again and just sort of do what you do, yeah. but not as well. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you're here today in an unbelievable pub, by the way. I'm going to come here when I come down Please, to the day. I frequent this place quite a bit. I've been here more than you. <laughs> what does the future hold for Frank Lampard? Where are you looking next? You obviously want to get back in, don't you? Mm. Yeah, I want to work. I'm ready to work. I've enjoyed parts of being out of the game. Definitely got me different perspectives, having a baby, all that stuff. And it's also given me a lot of reflection to sort of use that to plan for the future. So I'm ready to work and I'm excited about it. Um, and I miss it. Not that I'm waiting for the call. It sounds a bit desperate, but you know, the right opportunity. There's been a few um, opportunities I had Pretty fresh after leaving Chelsea. Then again in the summer, which You've been is interviews. Been You've been yeah, interviews, I've been yeah. speaking to a couple of clubs uh, different times, uh, and some didn't feel right for me. I'm going to go into that because it's not it's gone now. I don't want to sound overly selective either, because you know if you if you want to be selective in football and look at any job at face value that's available, they'll be good and bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know the, the job's there for a reason. It's open for a reason. That the bad results, squad, whatever it is. So I'm not scared about that, but it just needs to feel, you know, like the people that you work with, sounds a little bit cringy, but the vision, what do they want from you, what are the expectations, all those things. I'm fortunate enough to be in a place where I want to work, but I'm not desperate to work, and I want to get, try and get the right place. You know, you'll always hear that. I think it was a Fergie quote, when it? Pick the, the owner, not the club, or something yeah. like that. You know, and I understand what that means, try and... Yeah. And maybe if you're Fergie, you can pick who you want. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not in that position, but you, you want to go into something that feels positive. Well, let's hope so. And Frank, absolutely brilliant Cheers. to talk to nice you. Nice speaking to you too, mate. Thank you for coming on the old Thank you. I'll see you Thank soon. Thank you. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. 
Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.